Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with Titar and Tiffany. A white girl and a black girl, a black girl and a white girl having everyday conversations. Uh, we want to start by just letting you know that we are not experts. We don't deem to be experts. This is really coming through the lens of me as a white girl and Titar as a black girl and really talking about and sharing what we talk about behind the scenes and bringing them to the front with you. Then we bring on experts like Matthew Solomon here, um, a friend of mine and someone that Titar ran across with an amazing article that he read, that he wrote, didn't read, we read it, recently <laughs> that we want to we want to talk about. So Titar, do you want to do the, the intro? Or? Yes, I want to introduce Matthew. So Matthew Solomon is the coach for the modern soul a global speaker, relationship coach, and leadership development consultant whose first book that was actually number one on Amazon, correct, Matthew? Right. Is Man School, Relating with Women in the Me Too Era. So, yes, and then Matthew actually writes for the Men Project, and he actually sits on a panels and facilitates discussions around racism, sexism, and more. So I actually became aware of um, Matthew's article called How White People Miss the Mark When Addressing Race. So especially from a white man who wrote this article, I was like, oh, let me read this article. So I read down this article and I actually shared it to, with Tiffany. And then Tiffany was like, I actually know him. I was like, you do? <laughs> So that's how this all came together. Uh -huh. I was like, wow. okay, so then since you know him, can we bring him on the podcast? Can we bring him on the show? And she was like, reach out to him, I'm sure, and you'll be glad to come on. So thank you so much for joining us to um, talk about your article and um, talk about also your experience as a white man who mm. is in the process of dismantling racism. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about, um, just, just a little bit about you, your work, work that you do, because I know you, you, you cross off a lot of, a lot of things. You, yeah. you wrote, you know, um, a book around, based around the, the Me Too um, movement and now with the, the Black Lives Matter movement really at the forefront. Um, I would say in, in my time in America in the last seven years, the most I've ever seen it, but you've been... Um, educating yourself and educating about racism for, for quite some time. And um, your article in the Good Men Project was, was just amazing. So mm. what, what about that article really inspired you to just kind of put everything down on paper and get it out? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a couple things. Um, and, you know, to be clear, I love how you, uh, you know, specify that you all aren't, aren't experts. And, you know, when it comes to, to race, I'm not an expert. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who I'm a white guy, straight white guy from West Hollywood, California, who grew up with everybody. Like I went to school with everybody and I had a very unique experience I found later in life where my friends were every race, every religion, every sexual orientation. Um, and so, you know, I kind of I, like I grew up with everybody. I've always been a really good listener. And so I paid attention. Um, and so I, I, you know, I see myself as somebody who's been paying attention, who's been doing the work to decolonize and, and you know, to do the anti-racism work and, and study with uh, trainers who are black and indigenous and people of color and, and using my platform to 
to bridge those gaps and to bring people along and to you know amplify those voices and so you know my my article i was talking to a friend of mine who's a coach and she's indigenous and you know i was sharing how you know over the last few years i've lost a few friends every year whether it was talking about the me too movement or or you know regarding racism but then in the last few months it's literally been like two to three people a week you know and some mm. of these are friends that i've had for seven or eight years wow and and so you know in in sharing that with my friend who's the coach she was like you should really write about your experience with that and i was like well i don't want to you know center myself and and make right. it about me and she's like no but it's 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 an important yeah. part of this the story where you know it's like here you know i'm doing this work and i'm getting blowback from you know people who are white and mm -hmm. and the reasons that I see that I'm getting the blowback and the reasons that I see, which I talk about in the article, is that, you know, as white people, we haven't been at the effect of racism. We haven't had to really, you know, even consider it or think about it. And we have such an aversion uh, to being called racist or to, <laughs> to having any sort of responsibility or accountability for systemic racism. Yeah. that It's just easier to avoid it and argue it or, or find some sort of conspiracy theory or, or a way to say, no, I'm above all of this, you know, and I know better. And so we, you know, we're, and I mean, looking deeper, we're social, we white people are socialized from a place where we know better. We're the heroes, we're the saviors, mm -hmm. we're all of that stuff. And so uh, she actually said, you should write the article. And so I wrote the article and, and that's, <laughs> and, and that's what happened. Like with my book, uh, women said, you should write a book about me too for men. And I wrote the book. So somebody said, you should do it. And I did it. And that's, that's And both things got you on TV. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. So interesting enough, one of my questions was about your white friends. Because I was curious if they were like your homies or like your Facebook white friends, you know? And so yeah. when, when you lost your white friends, like, so it sounds like they're your homie, right? White friends. Did they, I mean, how did you, how did you realize like you lost them? How did you realize like that you lost them towards you speaking up about racism? Like, did you have conversations with them? Like, what was that? What was that well, like? You know, it's kind of, it's all different levels. Cause it, you know, some, some people I considered myself close to some people I was, in professional development seminars with for many years uh some people were just you know facebook friends that i thought we were closer than we were um mm -hmm. so it's all different levels so you know one person in particular um <laughs> it's inboxed me and was like i can't believe that you're you know going to this level and mm -hmm. i just can't deal with the negativity and so i'm detaching wow. you know wow. and so so that was one another person uh i uh blocked because they were just they just kept um basically they were trying to say that black lives matter is a front for the dnc and that it's you know soros funded and i would post you know links to refute that and and that was somebody who a couple years ago made this whole post about you know i'm not ashamed to be white you know all lives matter and then she she actually stepped it back and apologized a couple years ago but now she's like 
oh, I know the secret behind Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, no, that's really dangerous. And you're taking funding away from a movement that needs it. And she wouldn't hear it. And she basically was like, this is my page. If you don't like it, you can leave. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so stuff yeah. like that. And then, you know, in the, in the article, I mentioned somebody else I've known for seven years who thought I was shocked. He, you know, he thought wearing blackface was okay. You know, as long as his intention was to, uh, y- you know, to, to pay homage. And it didn't matter. It wasn't just me. There were, there were black friends of ours who were telling him, no, that's, that's messed up. Mm-hmm. And he just wouldn't hear it, couldn't hear it. And, you know, so we, uh, I don't even remember. I mean, I think I might have unfriended him or something. I, I don't, that, that was a little bit ago. But, I think you know, it's stuff like that. I think that's important. Like that's, that's been, I mean, there's been experiences for me where, and Tita and I have talked about this many times, where you, you, you want to educate people and you want them to see what you see or your point of view. But there's sometimes mm-hmm. where people just, don't want to know, don't want to get it, don't want to change. And so it's been a real big realization for me. um, And I'd love to hear your experience around like just deciding to focus on the people that do, do want to change or want to learn more, but it's Mm -hmm. hard. Like how do we spread more change and more education and more transformation? Because ultimately everyone um, ideally needs to shift but then I keep coming back to, okay, if it's just one person at a time, then that will spread to the next person, the next person, eventually there will be change, but can it be, it can feel like a lot of heavy lifting, yeah. which is coming. So I, I hear the irony of this from a white person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who am I to complain about heavy lifting? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, Tita. Then my question prior to answering that is when you even recognize to get to that shift. And I say that because in your article, I like you had wrote um, in school, you know, you learned about civil rights, okay, (laughs) movement, but you didn't recall anyone who ever disagreed with the belief that racism is bad and that people deserve to be treated equally, right? So you never heard like, okay, no, it was, it so sounds like it was like, okay, it was bad and it was there and but then you move on and say but you know it's the kkk and it's the nazis and the skinheads that are white supremacists so there really isn't any you know hardcore racism and so i guess it's like how did you how did you even get to the shift if you say that you know you even grew up with the uh different religions and backgrounds Mm -hmm. but you still in the back of your head was like oh that i'm not i'm not racist i'm you know i'm jewish and that's KKK. So mm-hmm. Tiffany's point of, you know, helping be the um, agent to change with folks who really want to be, you know, walk along along you with you, yeah. and even if you are helping guide them, but even to get to that mindset, yeah. what transpired for you to even get to that mindset to realize that. It isn't about KKK. It isn't about Nazi. It's not, yeah. you know, it's systemic. It's everywhere. It's, yeah. It's yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, it was, it was a combination of things. Um, and I have to say, like, I just have to, you know, you know, so there's, there's those moments where, you know, as a, as a white person and I'm, you know, close with other white people where they have those moments where the, their blind spots come up and they get defensive and they dig in or they don't get it or, you know, and, and it's like, ah, oh, damn. 
And then there's the moments where like with Tiffany, we met like a year ago. I don't think we've ever really discussed this, but then, you know, in the last couple months, I see that you all are doing, you know, doing this and I, and I see Tiffany's activism. I'm like, Oh, cool. Like we actually, you know, can relate on this level. So, you know, that's awesome. Um, you know, for me, uh, I think, I think a big part of it is I grew up Jewish and my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. And mm -hmm. so because of the stories they would tell, most of their family was murdered in the Holocaust. Wow. And because of the stories they shared with me, I was always very sensitive to, I guess, I guess, you know, what I realize now or, you know, social issues to oppression. I was sensitive to oppression. And as, as a young child in elementary school that, and my elementary school is 75% black, I was always like, oh, we've, we've been slaves. We've been, you know, at the effect of oppression, you know, so have you, so we can relate on this level. Mm -hmm. And, and it wasn't really, you know, and it was a learning process to discover, no, you know, black folks are still uh, largely at the effect of it. You know, my grandparents received reparations from Germany mm -hmm. every month yes. until they died, you yes. know, so, so being like picking up on that, um, mm -hmm. I happened to, I went to USC, University of Southern California, uh, on a music scholarship in the early 90s, right around the Rodney King beating, the LA riots, the OJ Simpson trial, and so all of my friends who had been sharing about their experiences, you know, in the black community. And I, and I would listen to them as those are their experiences, but there's got to be, be more to it. Mm -hmm. Then seeing the video and seeing how the quote justice system, uh, you know, handled things. Mm -hmm. It was like, Oh, there is a different uh, experience happening. Mm -hmm. And I started, you know, taking sociology courses in college where it was, you know, the people in charge create the laws and rules to keep them in charge. Um, the whole thing with, you know, if, you, if you're caught with crack, you go to prison for a lot longer than if you're caught with, if you're a white person who's, you know, got a whole bunch of cocaine, mm -hmm. you, you know. And so seeing the inequities there uh, really opened things up for me. And so that, that has fueled my journey. And then you bring in social media. And then when Trayvon Martin was murdered and George Zimmerman, you know, when he got off and it was like, wow, we, we just really haven't come anywhere, you, you know, and, and then, and then seeing how people interact, particularly white people on Facebook around that time saying, yeah. oh, well, if you just, if you would have just listened or if you would have just that, or, you know, any number of things. And so it was the process of that where uh, I had been paying attention. I had been listening. I thought everybody else saw it the same way that I did. And then I was shocked that they didn't. Um, and then doing all the relationship work, you know, that I've been doing and, and getting how important it is to listen and to really listen for another person's experience, which is really, you know, the key to, in my opinion, to transforming all of this is really acknowledging another person's experience when you know that that's where people were were missing each other um right. and so that that's that's what led to it i think that's i, I love your your story and your journey because it's very different to mine but the key is like everybody just listen like just take mm -hmm. a moment take a breath sit yeah. back and listen and take it in right right like if yeah. if it could just because it is kind of is that simple 
Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I know this from experience because the consulting work that I do, um, oftentimes I'm, you know, I go into organizations where there have been racism incidents or sexism incidents or people just be feeling siloed and not feeling valued. And with all of those incidents, all of, you know, my experience, getting people to just stop and turn towards each other and breathe and listen and listen for the other person's experience opens the door. And then there's the other training and other education that can come in. But, but when we start there, just be, me being willing to, you know, to listen to, you know, both of you and to acknowledge that what your experience is, is what your experience is. And to like really try and put myself in your shoes, then you feel like, wow, he's, he's trying, he, he's, he gets it on some level where, you know, there's a connection, then we can actually do something about it. Yeah. I feel like the biggest frustration I have when I'm trying to um, enter into conversations about race is, is the denial that, mm -hmm. that particularly white people have around, around what anybody's saying a black person is saying or black lives matter like that's not true or this has been my experience so therefore your experience it's like the, the negating the discounting of their experience and that's yeah. not listening that's yeah. just not listening yeah. and so when i feel that i just put myself in in you know in the shoes of like titar or you know you know black people that i love that i know and and just it's just and they deal with this every day day in mm -hmm. and day out it's it's crazy Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go and, ahead. And so there's two topics in your article that I do want to um, bring to attention. And folks, just know that we will drop his, um, Matthew's article in either the, either the show notes or the comments. So you will have a chance to read his article. It's a quick read. It's really yeah. easy. It's really good. It's really poignant. It's awesome. Read it. So there, the two things, because one, I really want to ask, is um, explain to me like a bit about how you went about this spiritual quest. Oh, especially yeah. after I mean after the Rodney King, you know, riot, mm -hmm. and then with that, once you achieve that spiritual quest, then it seems like it. I read like um, then you realize there were some spiritual practices that were stolen, and then that marginalized people have don't even have the free um you know just dealing with daily concerns and survival yeah. that they can't even maybe tap into some of their ancestral spiritual mm -hmm. practices is that what i read so i want yeah. you to talk to yeah them. well you know, <laughs> right well it's basically you know after college or even during college i i had all these questions about religion about society about how things work and there's you know i believe there's an inherent uh desire for for us and i'll speak as a white person to to know more and to to become enlightened like that's 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 the thing oh i'm gonna you know achieve enlightenment um even though like the enlightenment teachers are like well you never quite get there you know but it's like no i'm gonna achieve this space where i can manifest whatever i want you know, I'll master the law of attraction. I'll master relationships. I'll, I'll be able to, like the other person, to see above everything and to, you know, just know more and be more and have more and, you know, all of that. Like, to save become, the world. Yeah, save the yes. world. And, yes. You know, 
<laughs> and, 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 it's, and you know, it's funny because it's, it's spirituality, but it's really tied to capitalism and colonialism because at the end of the day, it's, you know, the quest to have more, or to know more, or to be more, and to, to be superior in some way, even though the spiritual law is, oh, we're not, we're equals, but no, but I, I'm above that, mm-hmm. right? So it was, uh, you know, studying Kabbalah, it was studying Buddhism, it was studying like crystals and gems and um, uh, tarot and uh, Akashic records and, you know, all of these things that you know, I think, especially growing up in Los Angeles, yeah. being in Los Angeles, like I, I remember sharing somebody you know, with somebody my journey, and she's like, "That sounds very LA," you know, like tantra, like studying tantra and and yoga and you know all of that. And so it was really more of a, you know, I wanted to live better and be better, and I recognized looking back that my ego wanted that more more than I would have admitted. I don't know if it's more than anything else, but that was part of it. Um, so in doing so, and in the last couple of years of really uh, learning about cultural appropriation and mm-hmm. the harm behind that. Uh, and so, you know, I see, you know, some white spiritual practitioners who wear Native American headdresses with war paint and all of that mm-hmm. to, to show, uh, their warrior attitude and I'm leaving out certain words that are, uh, you know, um, and it's like, no, people who are actually indigenous died and continue to die or be, and, and, or be at the effect of the white colonizers. And so for a white person to come along and it's like, I'm taking this for myself and I'm going to sell a bunch of coaching programs <laughs> because I look this way. Um, you know, it's, it's messed up. Like it, and it's more, colonizing and appropriation and it's just and it and it continues to do harm and so you know the people that I know who are indigenous who are dealing with um, poverty with alcoholism with mental health issues with you know in the 80s child services came in and took like 30 something children away from their families because they thought that they would be better off with white families you you know like all of that stuff just it, it that <laughs> I don't remember yeah. what your specific question is, but but it's no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it, it's about cultural uh, appropriation. Yeah, you know, just just stealing. Yeah, I mean, it's what it is, right? Like how you wrote in there, stolen. Just stealing um, things that you know, blacks bring to the table or even Native Americans bring to the table and then whites to just take that and run with it in a way that um, dismisses where it originated from. And usually there's some significant um, element to it, right? There's some significant spiritual value to it and then to see it just snatched and belittle and- um, It changes, it it changes. Yeah, it's as well. Sorry, no. And then, and then for you know, white people to profit off of that, right? When when, the people that it's stolen from are, you know, in in poverty or at the effect, or you know, and then and and you know, one of my teachers uh, in, in a course I was in like broke down how, like the roots of like comedic principles of religion, you know, go back to Africa, 
you know, and so we have like the Judeo-Christian models, but that there was stuff before that, you know, and so law of attraction, you know, is kind of a twisted version of, of that. There's, there are these other principles um, that have been kind of taken, you know, and presented as a way and it's, you know, marketed as a certain way, but there's elements that are missing. Mm-hmm. And so I had to come to terms with, you know, I have this altar had, you know, this altar at home that had Hindu deities on it and, you know, mm. deities on it. And it was like, hmm, I don't think it works for me to be praying to Ganesha, for instance, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that's been something like even in the last few months that I've had to sit and unpack. And as, as somebody who was a professional musician who played rock and blues and jazz and you know, played with, oh, you know, right. hip hop yeah. artists as a bass player, you know, like there's, because there's that whole thing too, which is pretty yeah. mind boggling, you know, yeah. the, the history of music and art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we can have you on for another show on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to, though, jump down to like the, towards the end of your article. And I know you mentioned about the, um, the women, I know you didn't say their name for I'm sure various reasons. Um, the one that talked about the lives, the Black Lives Matter um, hidden agenda. Yeah. Then the feminist white women who was all for you and your efforts to help yeah. the women regard the Me Too. But then when you started talking about um, Black Lives Matter and about supporting black women, which makes sense because you have the platform of the mean too. So it's like, okay, let's support black women in this black lives matter that she then sort of like shifted on you. So can you speak to that? Cause that's, that's interesting. So, cause it's, you know, you have black women, you have white women and you have white Mm -hmm. women who's trying to fight for the me too, you know, and then you have black women who's trying to fight for survival. Mm -hmm. Like, did she explain to you her mindset of why she wasn't agreeing with you on your stance for Black Lives Matter? Yeah, um, her her reasoning was was that I, as a white man, was not in my lane, and that I was being divisive by sharing the words of a black woman. So I had, I had shared a post by a black woman who was basically saying, "Where were all the white feminists for Breonna Taylor?" You know, where were they, you know, protesting? Um, And so there were several white women who had an issue with that and basically said I was that I was being divisive and then, you know, came in my inbox. And, you know, so I went from being, you know, a champion of 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 women and, you know, thank you for for sharing with men what we're dealing with to I'm a misogynist and a mansplainer. And, and for me, and I've written articles on this, and I've always said, I see it as the same, like different sides of the same coin. It's, you know, in Me Too, it's mostly women who have had certain collective experiences and helping men to, to see, you know, from your point of view and your perspective and your experience, your lived experience of what you deal with. And then going into the race conversation, it's, you know, basically have helping white people or explain to white people, no, we need to listen to the experience, the lived experience of black people, indigenous people, people of color, um, because we we're not in that experience. 
you know, and so it, it can be really hard for especially white feminist women who are out on the front lines, you know, thinking they're being inclusive when there's a whole history. And I brought this up. There's a whole history of the white feminist movement leaving out black voices. Yeah. And I even brought that up to one of these women. She's like, I've been in, you know, this for 25 years. I, I took, you know, like the resume, I took you know, intercultural <laughs> studies and African-American studies, and I don't need oh, you to lecture Lord. me on that. Oh. And so I was like, if you don't need me to lecture you on that, which I'm not, but if you know all of this, then why are you offended by my post? Exactly. Yeah, and it's not even my post, the post that I'm sharing from a black woman. Why are you offended? Exactly. Like, well, you know, and, and it's basically, I don't, in her opinion, I shouldn't be saying those things because I'm a white man. And I've made it the, the, the decision and the choice that I center, you know, marginalized voices. So I'm going to center black women on my posts when it's about that. You know? Yeah. Well, the I, underlying of, oh, sorry. Cause is the underlying of that then you think from when you, is that the white women just think they're superior than black women? Like what, I wonder what the underlying cut is to be, offended by you talking about black women you know what i mean like well i think it just comes back to the whole whiteness thing again right like white white privilege white ignorance white denial right like when i get into those conversations and people start to list their resume but i've done this and i lived in africa and i went to school and i had a black girlfriend boyfriend friend like they start doing that that's defensive mode and that's not that's not listening to Matthew's point, right? And and that's like where I turn around and go, just go and do more work because, yeah, yeah that they're they're in their white superiority for sure, and they don't even know that they they are. So this defensiveness and and Tita, you and I have talked about this. I get so um, um, perplexed actually when I watch white people get downright angry like just angry, right? And and there's like this poison that runs through it. So they, they go into your inbox, like Matthew was talking about, and start attacking you, or they, they literally get angry um, or violent or whatever it is. And and to me, that runs back to just, it's 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 white supremacy. It's this fear that happens, that that's underlying that people don't even realize because the, the fear of like, they're going to lose their, their control, they're gonna lose their stance, they're gonna lose their superiority. Yeah. Well then the deep, to wrap this all up, the deep awareness that I saw you write, Matthew, in your article, I have to read it because I thought it was just really powerful. Mm. So from your whole article, the very very last of your paragraph, basically you say, from this, though I have gained just a tiny bit of insight into why we, white people are not trusted it is not as simple as do better most of us have no idea what that even means the real request is to care more listen more and give up the need to be the one the savior and the winner there's no secret other than no one is winning anything as long as my friends continue living with the fear that they might be murdered for simply existing in darker skin. Boom! Right there, that drops the mic. That is so powerful. That is exactly what needs to be said. 
And I'm so grateful that you are speaking up. I'm so grateful that you're even being courageous as a white man, because I know there's other layers with that. <laughs> with white men in America. So I know you're an outlier and I'm, as a black woman, I am grateful that you have true allyship and I'm marching right there along with you. And I'm so grateful that you can step in those moments where us black people just can't because we're exhausted, we're tired. And thank you for just partnering with us and marching forward. I appreciate you coming on the show. It was very- yeah, My pleasure. Yeah, totally. thank you. Is there any is there any final words? I mean, I feel like that was a pretty good mic drop. On no, I mean, you know, the mic's dropped. I got yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna go pick it up. <laughs> no, I just I appreciate what you're. You know, I think I, I wanted to say, um, it's so great and important for for like the the conversations that you all model. You know, like it it shows a way that we can be with each other you know, where, where we're listening, we're seeking to understand, we're seeking to find solutions. Um, and that's really, you know, all that I'm doing in my work is really just to, you know, trying to, you know, get people to, to that place to be willing to do that. And so the fact that you all are, you know, doing what you're doing is, is just really amazing. And that's a big part of it. And so I just wanted to acknowledge you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Matthew. I think, yeah, the, the more we can do little by little, we get to chip away and hopefully, uh, you know, eventually it becomes chunks and it's got to be done. It's got to be done. So thank you, Matthew. Like we said in the comments, in the show notes, we'll drop that article. Please read it. It won't take you long. It's really informative. It's, it's in, incredibly well written. Um, follow Matthew at The Good Men Project. Um, you can find him on his website, which we'll also share, matthewsolomon.com. He's awesome. He works wonders with people in relationships as well. So keep an eye on him, follow him. He's awesome. And thanks again, Matthew. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, matthewsolomonconsulting.com. Oh, Matthew. The, the, yeah, the other one is some oh. guy who does ceramics. So, you know, oh. if you want to do that sort of thing. <laughs> matthewsolomonconsulting.com. Yeah, thank you. All right. <laughs> And be sure to follow Tita and Tiffany. You can find us at IG, Instagram, at a black girl and a white girl. Or you can subscribe to just get all our platforms and subscribe to all of them at a black girl, a white girl. Oh, Conversations.com. Let me get this wrong every time. Yeah, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. But we'll drop that in comments and show notes as well. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.